Pick up our continued study in the book of the Psalms, turning tonight to Psalm 82. Psalm 82, in God's sovereign providence, dovetailing then with what we've heard this morning, here is that call to go, here is that call to continue to speak gospel and live gospel, but now in its application, what does that look like? How are we to humble ourselves before the Lord? How are we to serve the Lord and to those who need to be served? And so a great deal of encouragement, but also conviction in God's word in that way today, but especially this evening. So let's hear these words, a psalm of Asaph, Psalm 82, hear now the word of Almighty God. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly? And show partiality to the wicked. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said you are gods. Son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Thus far, God's holy word. Let's seek his blessing in it in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, Father, we come to a a frightening scene, that courtroom of heaven, that which is true now that which will be especially true in the last day. And Father, as we do so, there is a proper bit of awe and fear, of reverence, Lord, but also, Father, of wanting to know what is life to look like now? How are you to be served now? Even in the great promise that you will come again, a just judge, to judge the living and the dead whose kingdom will have no end. And so as citizens of that already and not yet kingdom, Father, we pray, Speak to us by your word. Convict us of our sins. Drive us to the cross that is higher than I, to the rock, to Jesus Christ. And fill us with your spirit that we would be led forth to act upon it to the glory of your name. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Children of God called to be saints, there are few scenes in the world today that evoke the same fear as that of standing before a judge as one on trial. And perhaps sometimes you may watch those clips or, or even on TV of courtroom scenes and here is one standing before a judge to be sentenced. I don't ever want to imagine or even imagine the fear and the trepidation and the trembling of standing in that space. But we need to, when it comes to reading the Word of God, especially tonight in the light of Psalm 82. For as those living under the authority of an Almighty God, we have every reason to fear before a just judge, as does the world, save being found in Christ with a righteousness not our own. But that fear of judgment should be all the greater for those placed in authority. Those given places of leadership, of rule, 
positions of authority, be it kings or rulers, presidents or prime ministers, or other elected officials, pastors or teachers, and you get the point. And that fear should be real because they're to recognize him who's to be served. They're to recognize the awesome and awful call to use that derived authority to teach an example in ways of God's goodness, of God's justice, of the way of the Lord. That kind of fear should lead us to a right humility. That as we fear God, we humble ourselves before Him, praying to God for help and for wisdom in the exercise of any of the authority that we're given. But when that authority is abused, when leadership perverts justice, chaos reigns and swift judgment should be expected. This is what should come. This is what we pray for. And as we consider our days no differently than the generations that have come before us, we know there are many leaders today, many in places of authority that will not submit themselves to the will and way of the Lord. Many people who will not humble themselves before Almighty God and His Word. And yet we still pray. We pray for them. We pray they will be humbled. We pray that they will be changed. We pray to God, do not give us the leaders we deserve in the sinful wickedness of the many, but be gracious to provide those who would be given authority, who would serve well and love well and care and live justly and work justice for the oppressed. That that's the God we cry out to, and we need to humble ourselves before Him, Him who raises up leaders and brings them low praying with a trust that He is Almighty, praying to Him trusting that He is sovereign over all things, praying to one who reigns over all things now, even as we take comfort that He will execute final judgment in the last day. That's our sure spot even in the midst of the chaos and the struggle and the abuse. And so as those who long for that day of final judgment to come, Yes, wanting sinners to be saved. Those called as God tarries, called to himself that they would know the salvation of our God. But we call out for that last day, wanting it to come soon. Even as while at the same time hurting over the brokenness and leadership we see all around us. And so I want to encourage you tonight to use Psalm 82 as a testimony of your confidence. Perhaps that readjustment, what do do we need to look to? What do we need to hold on to? But also a prayer that the Lord indeed would return soon and fulfill His promise of having all of the inheritance of the nations be His, of receiving a redeemed people to Himself in the truth of His forever reign. So we want to see this in Psalm 82 tonight. The eternal God acts in His place as judge now on behalf of His people, And will do so in finality in the last day. The eternal God acts in his place as judge now. And so we need to be able to see that and trust that. We're not just waiting for him to be just in the last day. He's just now. He's continuing to work on behalf of his people. He is continuing to provide and care for his church in the same. And yet we know he will do so with finality in the last day.
And so he will and continues to serve as the only authoritative and just judge as he reads the charges in verses 1 and 2, as he examines the evidence in verses 3 through 5, and as he passes the sentence we read in verses 6 through 8. But first, he reads the charges. And, and children, if you think of that courtroom scene, maybe that you've seen on TV or in movies, perhaps some of you adults had mock trial when you were in school, perhaps you've had to appear in court or serve on a jury. In that fearful courtroom scene, we can imagine hearing the all-rise spoken as that judge and all of that regal and authoritative nature takes his place of authority and judgment. Again, it's a scene that causes us to shudder. But how much more awful is it to consider that righteous place of the Lord, that throne room of heaven, where an almighty God takes up that place of judgment in all of his holiness and in all of his righteousness. To which we would say, sinner, what shall then become of thee? And you leaders, those who will not submit to the Lord in all things, what will then become of thee? The scene should be regarded as one giving every reason to fear. And that's the first note of the psalm. Look again at verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. He takes his place. And in so doing, he defends his character, his person, his honor, and his word. It says in Isaiah 3.13, the Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. Here is that separation between the Creator and His broken creature. He contends then for His own. He contends and fights for His glory. And so that part of verse 1 we understand. But that second part for us becomes fuzzy. In the midst of the gods, He holds judgment. What, what are we to make of that commentary? And you can be assured these words do not speak concerning the false gods of the people who are not gods at all. God isn't taking his place among the pantheon of false gods. No, instead the word gods in other translations is translated as judges, as those who hold place of authority. That we can understand this considering the words of 2 Chronicles 19, 5 and 6. He appointed judges in the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, again, same word, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. That's the breakdown. God is with you. God has given you your place of authority. God stands in it. All authority is His. All authority in heaven and on earth has now been given to Christ. And so the Lord stands to judge in the midst of all of those given authority to rule, and to work judgment in the midst of all the peoples. He is set apart from them. He is exalted over them. And yet what should strike us then is the spiritual nature of authority, no doubt, but also the divine warfare in the same. Because this isn't, I have taken my place to praise you and exalt you and to give you all praise and thanks for your obedience. This is still a courtroom scene. He's taken his place in judgment. 
And so that divine warfare that is certainly a part of the same, even in the terms being used, is like that of Paul's words in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Let's not undermine what is happening when we have elections in a country. Let us not try to set aside the spiritual reality of rulers being raised up and others brought low. There is a spiritual element in all things. Which leads us to Jesus in stating plainly what's spoken of here, speaking of his place of authority over against all peoples and all rulers, but especially over those who claim authority and then abuse it. It says in John 10, 34 to 36, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? If he called them gods, whom the word of God came. And so here again, you've brought it now to that human element. Here are those judges and authorities in the world about you. Verse 36, do you say of him, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. He is claiming his place. Jesus is speaking his authority. Even as the Lord is speaking it here in Psalm 82. I am that ruler. I am that sovereign. I am that authority over you and all things. And so it is the Lord our God who stands in his place as judge over all things. And again, let that strike you. Let that shake you properly. Jesus Christ will come again in the last day to judge the living and the dead in all the authority given him. And he will do it. In that authority, he will mete out the only appropriate judgment. And he alone has the authority to declare these charges. To lay out among all those and the people of God And those outside of it who have not exercised their authority and submission to him and for the benefit of those they serve. And in the psalm, the charge, that which was to convict the people is singular. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Those aren't two things, they're one. That and keeps them together. And how could this be said then? certainly among the people of God who had been given his law, who had been given his word, who should know all about humbling themselves before the fear of God and the authority of his name. That in delivering his people out, he set up judges, calling those to be judges among the people of God in authority they were vested in by Moses to judge faithfully. This is your one job. That as rulers and authorities among my people, you are to judge justly. Deuteronomy 1, and I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone. They don't need to. Why? Because their authority is from God and as he ends that verse, for the judgment is God's. 
that in any judgment we render, in any use of authority that we use, it has to be speaking and living and acting in the way of God. And when we abuse that in our parenting, in our ruling in the church, in our work at our work, in whatever way that is, this is still a call for us in any way of authority that judgments are to be founded in and based upon the justice and judgment of God. But here among those people, this clearly isn't the case. It's what leads to the very speaking of the psalm. It's like Psalm 58, verse 1. Do you indeed decree what is right, you God? So again, that use of the same term. Do you judge the children of man uprightly? And we would say, why among God's people would that question ever have to be asked? Those who have been given authority in God, every role by the gift of His hand, every bit of power by way of His rule, Every blessing in him. Why would we take that and claim it to be something other than it is? It's a charge that should never be spoken of God's people. Proverbs 18.5, it is not good to be partial to the wicked or deprive the righteous of justice. And here now becomes a play on Israel's history. Israel, you know better than anyone what it is to be denied justice. You are deprived of justice. You called out to a holy God. He delivered you in His judgment against Egypt and for you. So why wouldn't you seek to use your authority in judgment rightly? But the same question could be asked of us. In those times that we have been tempted to use our roles of authority for our own benefit, our own good, our own advancement, rather than the blessing and service of others. We, knowing that we have been given all good things in our sovereign, in our judge, in our Savior, why would this ever be spoken of those who claim relationship with Christ? The call then of Deuteronomy 24 continues to stand. You shall not pervert the justice due to a sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment and pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. It's one way. The use of authority is to be used in one way and one way only. That rule in one way and one way only. So as such, then, unjust and partial judgments were a direct violation of the will and way of the Lord. And if that's the case, and if that's the life that you live, and the calls that you are making, you should have every reason to fear. Every reason to fear before a holy God, if that is how any would use their God-given authority and the roles of leadership He gives. And so that is a pause for us. Because we wear a lot of hats of authority. Far more than we think. Maybe outside of our children, though they are to live and humble themselves before the Lord. But just think of that. The authority you're given at school or at work. The authority you're given in the church. 
the authority that you're given in the other organizations that you are a part of? Does your leadership, do, do the judgments that you render, does the discipline that you mete out, does it accord itself with the standard of his word? Does it make God in his justice and in his goodness manifest? Consider your own heart and life. Because the Lord is holy and we're not. And we don't always use our authority properly. And so we need to be delivered then, not just from bad leaders or bad judges. We have to be delivered from ourselves. That's what we're ultimately calling out for. God, in the authority that is yours, deliver me from me. From how often I am given to my sin. To those power dynamics that I seek to use for my own gain and advantage. And thanks be to God then that he's worked a way of that kind of salvation in Christ. For Jesus came to live righteously and to be our righteousness. He lived that fully. He lived that wholly. And it is he who will come again as judge and savior in that last day to deliver us wholly from sin and Satan and self. And he will judge those who stand charged and condemned before a holy and almighty God it is sure to be. And so that promise, not only of judgment, but also of Christ, is the promise of Isaiah 11, 1 to 4. That which we read so often at Christmas, but that is far more import than that. There shall come forth the shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Jesus Christ alone is that righteous one who will come and execute righteous judgment as a righteous judge. Are you prepared to come before him? Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you confessed your sin before him, crying out for the mercy of a just judge? Repent of the ways in which perhaps in the past or even right now that you've made poor judgments, ways that you may have abused authority. Seek out that forgiveness and repentance. Seek out reconciliation in every way you can in the grace the Lord provides. Seek his face as you humble yourself before him. For apart from his righteousness, you would remain in your guilt. And in the last day, you would be found guilty. For he will examine the evidence in that in the second place. Because that evidence is damning because it must be held up against the perfectly holy standard of the Almighty. That again, if we think about that in those courtroom scenes, and, and you see the evidence pile up, and it is so incredibly obvious that the guilt of that defendant is real. 
article after article after article of evidence. There's no getting away from it. How much more each one before the holy standard of the Almighty. And so each and every judge and each and every ruler and each and every role of accountability and authority will be held responsible before God's law and commands. And so that expectation of that is recorded back in Deuteronomy 16, 18 to 20. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, and you shall not accept a bribe. For the bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving you. So follow justice, follow the Lord who is just, but live a way of justice which is the only way of blessing. That justice, even now, and it's that which we need to continue to cry out to and exhort our leaders to and encourage them unto, justice is the way leaders and judges and those in authority manifest of showing who God truly is. They become vehicles of his to make him known to the people they're given authority over. That's the blasphemy of one being given a place of authority and denying God his almighty nature and just goodness altogether. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. That is the one that we need to be making plain in every rule of authority. And so in this psalm, The way of the Lord is made plain in the way of true justice and how it is to be worked in the world. That there is a clear presentation here that justice is not just something spoken. Mercy, again, is not just theory. Here is how it's to be displayed. Here is how the work of God is to be shown. Verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. That in this world today, justice must be provided for those who cannot afford to bring it about. Justice must be provided for those most easily oppressed, which in that day and today certainly includes widows and orphans. Includes those less fortunate. Those who have difficulty helping themselves. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. The rights of the less fortunate of those easily taken advantage of, must be cared for, must be defended. Not again, just dismissed summarily because they can't help us in our standing, but that we give in a way of sacrifice. We give in a way of care and compassion for the other. Verse 4, rescue the weak and the needy. That the poor who will always be among us must be served. Again, rescued from those who would exploit them, who would traffic them. And so these words, and all of them together, speak of intentional intervention. Not just, I'll pray for that. Intentional intervening on behalf of the voiceless, the oppressed, the abused, the hurting, those unable to advocate or stand up for themselves. And that isn't just some social justice warrior mantra. That is faithfulness to the word of God. 
And it's one we have to pause for. Why are we given roles of authority? Why are we given any blessing from the Lord? They are to be used for the good of others and for the glory of His name. Which resolves in what? Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's the point. That is what you become an officer of. And it's more, again, don't just make this rights in this world in this detail. We got a bill of rights and we got to stand on that and we got to do this. Rights that very few people on the rest of the globe can even come close to. All the freedoms that we have in this land. No, this is a part of that spiritual battle that is waging around us. And if we're going to continue to be silent or just ride in ways that, you know what, things are good for me right now, that's an abuse of the space that you've been given, of the authority in Christ to go and make disciples that is given. Because the power of the wicked will always be used for more and more wickedness. That's the reality of this world. No matter who is hurt, no matter who is taken advantage of, no matter who is crushed. It's again, it's a reality that shouldn't be. It should never be. Not among those in this world where their judges are appointed and who promise to do justice and serve justly. And it certainly shouldn't have been within the boundaries of Israel either. And so yes, we know we're going to go back for out of this place. And we're going to go out into a world, a world of sin, where there's a terrible amount of injustice. And if you're not experiencing that right now, you may praise the Lord for it. But you need to open your eyes. And you need to open your heart to a horizon far more than just the small circle that we run in. In a world where you Hope that your young girls will leave your house and come back at the end of the day. In a world where we have so much food that we throw away, that food can't be provided for others. And these aren't just economy things or pull yourself up by your bootstraps or invest better things. There are spiritual realities in all of them. Crime and violence dominates. Slavery continues. The less fortunate keep getting taken advantage of. Scam after scam after scam, continuing to target the most vulnerable, the abused, and the oppressed. Are we at work seeking justice? Calling out for it, praying for it. Are we working justice for the oppressed? Are we a voice for those who have no voice? Are we recognizing and calling out to a just judge who is almighty to seek and serve and save and to use us in his work? And that's what should have been seen and known among the people of Israel. That's what should have been seen and known in those days. That's what we should see in leadership and authority today. But if leaders and judges will not be humble, and if God's people will not be who God's people are called to be, 
then wickedness will only abound. And that will be clearly seen too. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.8, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. There's always someone higher up. But it ends with the Lord. He is the authority over them all. And yet as we consider our callousness in knowing that, knowing the authority of God and how quick we are to dismiss it, why are we surprised when the world's leaders are watched but they care not? They're found under the authority of another but they dismiss it. They lead many astray. They fail to show an example of goodness or the justice that is who God is. Instead, they show their utter ignorance. Verse 5, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They give evidence to and say nothing other than that. You have no knowing. You have no understanding. This is judgment already. And this isn't just tripping over words or forgetting people's names. This is having no knowledge of the way of God. This is having no understanding of the will of the Lord in the place of authority in this life and in the one to come. Jeremiah 4, For my people are foolish. They know me not. They are stupid children. They have no understanding. They are wise in doing evil. But to do good they know not. What a terrible description. One of the most horrible in the scriptures. Instead, they walk about in darkness. And that's the darkness, not of all of those other things that go on out there. It's the darkness of what lives in here and comes out of here and out of here. It's the darkness of their own sin that they've been given over to, as it says in Isaiah Isaiah 44, 18, they know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, their hearts so they cannot understand. Isaiah 59, 8 and 9, the way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. And in that kind of reality, which sounds sometimes a lot like the days that we live in, it would seem, can there be anything else other than unrest and brokenness and struggle and chaos? It's what it kind of seems like. Which leads Asaph to write, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. It seems like everything is being destroyed. And anything that was right and good and true and beautiful is shaken in that too. It's the angst we struggle with in a world where that which is sinfully wrong is continually called right. Where the things of righteousness are legislated against and judged against. It only brings destruction. Those judges and those leaders will be held accountable But what are we to do? 
That's usually our question at this moment, right? What are we to do other than maybe turning off talk, talk radio every now and then to try to just get a semblance of not being worked up all the time? We see the injustice. We know the brokenness. We see the earthquake of the world all around us. What do we do? You see, in knowing that this evidence clearly shows guilt and leads to judgment, if the foundations are destroyed, Psalm 11, verse 3, what can the righteous do? Saints were to do what we're called to do. It's novel, right? We return to the word of the Lord. We return to the calling as sojourners in this world. Those who are in this world, but not of it. Those who are to put on Christ and who are to make no accommodation for the things of the world. Those who follow him and only him, no matter what the world may say or do, what can man do to us? To those who will live a vibrant life claiming the justice of God while living justly and righteously. We heard it again this morning. He's told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, Micah 6, 8, but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Do we think about what that really looks like in a day-by-day? How am I seeking justice? How am I caring for the less fortunate? How am I advocating for the unborn? How am I advocating for those enslaved? How am I advocating for those who work in conditions that we would be embarrassed to see. What are we doing about the injustices in our own communities? In dependence upon the Lord and our faithful Savior Jesus Christ, are we seeking justice by seeking the welfare of the city that we are found in? As sojourners and pilgrims, as aliens in this world. Christian, it is imperative that we speak and serve justice. It is imperative that we live justly in all humility before God, in all the roles of leadership and authority that we've been given. But it starts with something seemingly a lot less profound, but really in our day a lot more profound than you want to give credit for. It is imperative that we trust the Lord. That we trust the Lord, who raises up kingdoms and brings them to an end, who raises up rulers and brings them low in his will and in his way. It says in Psalm 75, verse 3, when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who steady its pillars. Do we have that kind of trust? God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. He is still ruling, he is still reigning, he is still in authority over all things. Which means that nothing has gotten past him. Nothing is a surprise to him. But he will faithfully examine the evidence, and he will render right judgment in the now and in the last day. Let that be your trust even as you serve justice now in ways that you think, is it worth it? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? It matters because it is faithfulness. It matters because it is service rendered unto the Lord and not to men that we give ourselves heartily, full-heartedly to. 
Trust that as you serve justice now, even as you take solace and comfort in the fact that he does and will pass the sentence and that in the last place, because there's only one judgment. Only one judgment worthy of that which is laid out. In examining all of that evidence, all that which makes the guilt and the godlessness of rulers and judges known. And so the Lord will address it in the last day. Address all those brought before Him to receive the due sentence for their sinful injustice and their abuses of authority. Verse 6, I said, you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. I made you in my image. I have spoken my word. I have given that way, which is not just for Christians, but all those found under the authority of God. I made it plain. You were to live and serve as those vested with authority, but more to live as servants of my name and my image, to live before and judge among my people according to my character, my goodness, and my holiness. You were to know that. That was a prerequisite of your activity. But now I must stand in judgment over you. You were to humble yourself before that and seek to serve me on that basis, but you have not in your ignorance. And the sentence will only be death. Verse 7, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. You are not God. You are not the final authority. You will be ended like everyone else. Your days will pass like a vapor. Your office of authority only solidifying your guilt in it. It's the truth of Psalm 49, 12. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. You will fall now and forever. That will come. You can be sure of it. So examine your heart. Heed that call now because there will be no time in that last day. There will not be a second chance in that day. There will not be a reissue of the gospel in that last moment. That time is now. Call out to the Lord while there's still time for grace and mercy. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Seek justice. Walk humbly. Love kindness. Give yourself anew to the practice of whatever authority he has granted to you. In the faithfulness he requires. But more according to the grace of the Savior whose righteousness is provided for you. Do that because Jesus Christ is coming again. And he's coming soon. And that's how the psalm resolves itself. That in seeing this and knowing this and seeing this fearful scene and knowing what I have to do, what am I going to find my hope in? Verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all the nations. And it becomes the cry of God's people in every day and in every generation. Come, Lord Jesus. We cry out for deliverance from one who sees and who knows and who will deliver us in our days and most fully in the last day when we're gathered to him. 
He will do it in the desire to righteously vindicate his own and to exalt the honor of his name. Psalm 12, verse 5, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Isaiah 33, 10, now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. Christian, let that be your comfort. In days of wickedness and injustice, in the struggle that is real, find him to be your comfort. He is coming again. He will come to judge. Yes, that is a fearful thing if we fall into the hands of an angry God. But that is not our lot. Because He will come and He will embrace us. And He's going to gather us together with all the saints. Let that be your comfort. He's faithful to His promises. And that day will be a day of great rejoicing in the praise of Psalm 96. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. It is our rejoicing. It must be. It must be our hope. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. We serve a holy and just judge who is faithful, who looks at us now in the righteousness of Jesus, having poured out on him all of the judgment we rightly deserved, that we might live in justice, that we might live justly. And so knowing that we've been delivered, and knowing more that our judge is coming, be given to doing justice and the grace that he provides. That's your benefit. That's your blessing. That's your joy. Let us do all we can to bring before the nations the truth of the holiness and gracious character of our God in our actions and our judgments, no matter how big or small. And when all our days are all the more difficult due to that sin and injustice, which isn't going to get any better until the coming of the Lord. Cling to Christ. And hold on to the words of Revelation 22.20, which we close with. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May our judge come soon. May we fear the Lord in working and seeking justice all our days in Christ. Thanks be to God for his promise. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and the truth of this psalm and all the wonder of fearing you and all of your just judgments and all of the justice you display and yet recognizing that for sinners like us, you have poured all of that judgment upon your Son. And you've given us his righteousness that we might live for the praise of his glory each and every day. And so, Father, for each one here in the roles of authority that you have given them, Father, I pray may they exercise it rightly in full submission to you, in an understanding of the heart of service that you call them to in it, Father, in the ways in which they are to show forth Christ 
in every ruling of it. And so, Lord, in the ways that we have fallen short, forgive us. And, Father, as we go out into that world, a world, Father, where people are going to be hurt or killed and things are going to be stolen and people are going to cheat and lie, where dishonesty seems to rule the day, where selfishness is the only thing that seems to matter. Father, may we know, they know that we are Christians by the way that we love you and by the way that we continue to depend upon your love to live justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with you. And so, Father, we pray, may that be worked in us and through us. May you continue, Lord, as we seek to be a blessing to others, even in our giving tonight. Father, might you bless it. Lord, as we give for the work that we do together as a classes of churches tonight, Father, may the authority that is there, Father, the authority that is granted by way of delegation from local consistories where your authority has been vested in the church, Father, may we recognize that all of it is found in the authority of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.